Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. During this year's American Society of Clinical Oncology's annual meeting in Chicago, Illinois, more than 30,000 oncology professionals came together to discuss new treatments and ongoing controversies surrounding the theme of precision medicine. While precision medicine comes with great promise, it also comes with new challenges for physicians to navigate. We sat down with four different physicians to discuss their experiences with precision medicine, how precision medicine is changing the treatment paradigm, challenges associated with this shift, and where the movement is headed. First, we spoke with Dr. James Lin Chen of Ohio State University and chair of ASCO CancerLink Oncology Informatics Task Force. We spoke about the shift to precision medicine and how it's affecting oncology. Chen began by distinguishing between personalized medicine and precision medicine. There is a shift from personalized medicine to precision medicine because if you think about it, we're really trying to customize medications for a group of patients with a similar feature. For example, if we think about um, BRCA1 or BRCA2 alterations, we think about PARP inhibitors. We're not talking about a particular patient's cancer with that alteration. We're thinking about a group of patients who all have um, that particular gene loss or gene alteration. Uh, the, the, I like to think of this as if you were to try to start up a, a clothing store, for example, you, if you try to customize clothing for every single person who came into the store, that's not really feasible or possible with what we have today. Instead, what we're trying to do is find what are the most common alterations, what are the most targetable ones, and create treatments or um, therapies that really do fit these groups of people. And so when we talk about precision medicine, we're moving to trying to treat groups of similar patients. He then discussed how the shift to precision medicine has changed the way oncologists think about cancer treatment. We still need to see the patient, diagnose the patient, figure out what's targetable, find treatments for the patient. So that part is still the same, right? That part will probably not change. What has really changed is that precision medicine adds a layer of data to each of those steps. And each of those steps now require a lot more data synthesis. So in effect, what we have is a data problem, less about a clinical problem, but how do you manage all this data to help treat your patient? He continued by describing how the shift to precision medicine has changed the information needs for oncologists and tumor boards. So uh, I talked about five, uh, five rights of precision medicine today. So the right diagnosis, the right tests that needed to be made to make diagnosis, um, the right targets, the right treatment, um, and the right monitoring that all goes along with this. But along with these uh, um, uh, rights for the right treatment for precision medicine are data sets that really underlie it. So you need prognostic biomarkers, diagnostic biomarkers, monitoring biomarkers, um, you also need um, guidelines for, in terms of what are the appropriate tests to run in the first place. So uh, precision medicine has really opened up 
the, uh, the world of biomarkers to oncologists, and that is, I think, one of the big paradigm shifts. We also spoke with Dr. Michael Thompson of Aurora Advanced Healthcare, who gave insight into the role precision medicine plays in the community setting. So I just got done giving a talk with uh, Laura Black and Ed Kim about uh, community oncology and precision medicine. And uh, as anywhere, uh, most patients are uh, treated in the community and understanding precision medicine is important. And there are some unique barriers, including uh, geographic access, uh, infrastructure, and things like that. But uh, every physician needs to know about precision medicine as it's becoming both standard of care for some areas, as well as emerging targets that we can uh, try to uh, work on and as are being discussed widely at ASCO. So this is important information for every oncologist, but uh, it's increasingly becoming important in the community setting. He also explained how this role differs from that in an academic medical center. So many of the issues are the same whether you're at an academic medical center or at the community sites. Uh, some community sites may have people that treat multiple tumor types and aren't specializing in one area where the information is exploding in every area of cancer. And there may be a greater need for a systematized, centralized way to approach uh, all this molecular information uh, versus if you're only doing lung cancer, only doing brain cancers, you may know the mutations that are most important and the information more than someone who's treating every type of cancer available. And uh, that's why we have been talking about how do you set up a whole system to track that. But even in uh, university settings, uh, that's still a, a need. And uh, one of the limitations is actually genetic counselors. There's not enough to go around. And that's one of the huge areas of need, including doing telemedicine, uh, or having clinical trials that bring in genetic counseling for around the whole country. Thompson rounded up the conversation by describing challenges associated with conducting precision medicine trials in the community setting. So with precision medicine, you need to have tissue, uh, and if you need new tissue, that uh, is sometimes a barrier uh, based on location or uh, cost. Uh, and toxicity of getting the new tissue. Uh, there is uh, a barrier of getting the testing done, whether that's on a research study or before the research program actually, and the eligibility criteria which may limit patient uh, accrual. And for many of these patients that have been through multiple lines of therapy and there aren't a lot of great options, uh, anything that slows things down, they can go from relatively healthy and able to go on a trial to unhealthy and unable to go on the trial or even dying. Uh, so this has uh, been seen and so we have to do things efficiently and fast in order to overcome these accrual barriers. Dr. Victoria Villaflor, an Associate Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University sat down with us to walk through the different challenges that she's seen with the shift to precision medicine. Oh, there are multiple challenges. Uh, we'll start with the clinician. So when the physician comes in to see the patient, there is so much data that's out there and depending upon the environment the physician is seeing the patient also dictates some of this. 
So a physician that has to know every single tumor type in no way is going to be able to keep up with all the massive data and the studies and everything that is coming out for every single tumor type. So keeping up with the data, integrating it, being able to actually teach the patient about it and implement it is one of the great challenges that is out there. Um, other challenges are, you know, who should we be testing with us? What tests should we be doing? And, you know, keeping the physician up to date with that. Um, on the patient's end of things, uh, their willingness to do some of the precision techniques because they do take time. And also, on, on, you know, their expectations may be somewhat unrealistic. Um, things that you have to worry about as a patient says, oh, great, I have this, you know, um, mutation, I should be actually responding to X therapy or perhaps my, t uh, my tumor proportion score of PDL1 is 80, I should have a great response to one of the checkpoint inhibitors and in fact they don't. Studies have shown in most of these agents, um, response rates are somewhere in about 50 percentile, maybe 54 percentile. A couple actually go up into the 60 to 70 percentile, but not everybody who should respond is responding. So the expectations can be unrealistic on both the clinicians and the patients. Uh, standpoint. Now, as far as testing, that's a whole nother ball of wax. <laughs> you know, we start out with how do we identify the patients that should be being tested, and how do we identify of those patients who should be being, who should be getting treatment, who shouldn't. One of the early examples of this is the Oncotype DX, which is used in breast cancer to determine patients who have undergone surgery with ER positivity, who should be getting ad adjuvant chemotherapy. Well, that's only one example. How do we pick out other patients who should be being treated and who shouldn't be being treated? Another example would be how do we pick out who is going to respond? What tests should we be doing? Should they be immunohistochemistry? Should they be, you know, um, fish-type testing? Should it be something along the lines of next generation sequencing? Nobody really knows the answer to that. And, you know, there's standardization issues. Um, other issues that occur are what toxicity uh, tests should we be doing? Other things could include, you know, who should be being tested for germline mutations. We usually determine that if a patient comes in and has many of their family members affected by cancer, but those are the only patients that right now we're recommending having germline testing. Are there other families that we're missing? Are there germline mutations we really don't know about yet? So I think overall it's a very complicated situation and really determining which patients should get what tests and um, as to what patients should get what tests is, is complicated. Now, when we get to treatment, what are the actual treatments we should be having? Some of it has been well worked out, a lot of it hasn't been. And the other thing is we need to have well-developed um, molecularly marker-driven um, clinical studies to actually be enrolled on for the patients, or for the patients to be enrolled on.
Also, the other thing are the master protocols and getting patients to participate in that. And then what about those ever-loving non-responders? What do we do about them? How do we figure out what the heck is going on with them? So overall, it's a very complicated and complex problem. Dr. Peter Paulieu, Physician-in-Chief at Hartford Healthcare Cancer Center, also sat down with us to describe the challenges he's seen with this shift. You know, I, I think that um, the number of drugs that are either FDA approved or compendium listed uh, based on precision medicine tests is still fairly small, uh, maybe a couple dozen or less. Um, there are many, many more drugs in the pipeline, of course, but a lot of those will crash and burn on the way and never make it. So there is a lot of work to be done in drug development to identify uh, drugs that are effective and tolerable uh, for a target. Um, and we still are very much in the research world realm of development. Uh, and we need to um, bring together uh, our real-world data and our reimbursement systems to recognize the fact that a lot of what could be released and gained by precision medicine is going to be based on a lot of research. And unless we find a way to fund it um, at a time where we're still in the research mode, we would be very, very slow to realize um, the benefits of precision medicine. Looking ahead, Dr. Victoria Villafort also shared with us where she thinks the future of precision medicine is headed. Well, where I think and where I hope, I, I hope collide. And what I think in, at some point and in the future is that patients are going to go in and have testing done, be evaluated, and based on a number of items, including their performance status, other underlying comorbidities, and probably a chip of all of their genetic material, molecular material, um, is going to actually be put into a computer which will hopefully spit out this will be the best um, the best treatment or intervention because it's not all based on treatment but interventions for you whether it be surgery radiation some kind of chemotherapy or a targeted therapy or immune therapy um, that being said, there's a lot of other things that will play a role in it, and they will need to obviously be monitored. It won't be like walking in, hitting the computer key like you do in a grocery store. But I think that things are going to advance um, based on a lot of the smaller data because not all people are alike the way we used to do studies. There are small subgroups within each tumor type, within each molecular type, and hopefully at someday we'll be able to actually pair the two to get patients a little bit more personalization and precision to their treatment. To learn more about the current landscape of precision medicine and its growing role in oncology, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes.